Greet you in Jesus' name this morning. It's amazing how the devotional and the Sunday school class and the message goes together this morning. So we talk about a heart, <coughs> our hearts. What kind of a heart you want? God says, I'll give you one kind of a heart. What kind would, it, would you want? What would you ask for? A heart? I mean, like, it would cover the most, do the most, serve you the best. It's a man in the Bible by the name of Solomon. God came to him in a dream. He said, tell me what you want. What would you like? Here with me in your Bibles to 1 Kings 3. Can you imagine? God coming to you and say, just, just tell me what you want. Ask whatever you want me to give you. That's what the NIV says. What would you say? <coughs> Verse 5, 1 Kings 3, 5. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give thee. Wow. <laughs> now nah, it's not like Lynn said, Dennis, what do you want? Or Dan says, what do you want? Or whoever. They could probably give me a lot of things, but their resources would be quite limited. God says, what do you want? What would you say? <clears throat> Solomon said, Thou hast shown unto thy servant David, my father, great mercy, according as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. Thou hast kept for him his great kindness, this great kindness, that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And now, O Lord, my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father and I am but a little child I know not how to go out or to come in and thy servant is in the midst of thy people which thou hast chosen a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude give therefore thy servant an understanding heart To judge thy people. That I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this thy so great a people? And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and hast not asked for thyself long life, neither hast asked riches for thyself, nor hast asked the life of thine enemies, but ask for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart, so that there was none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. And I have also given thee that which thou hast not asked, both riches and honor. So there shall not be any among the kings like unto thee all thy days. And if thou wilt walk in my ways, to keep my statutes and my commandments, as my father David did walk, then I will lengthen thy days. And Solomon awoke, behold, it was a dream, came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and offered peace offerings and made a feast unto all his servants. If you keep reading, you have these, the account of the two women 
brought the child. To Solomon, a wise and an understanding heart. <clears throat> I think I can relate to Solomon here. Now, there's not so many people here in Prairie that I can't count them, but uh, what do I want? What do I want? Solomon said, I want an understanding heart. I want to be able to decipher between good and bad. And God said, I'll give that to you. And I'll give a whole bunch of other things to you. But, there's more to the equation than that. It's not just knowing good and evil, and that's, that is critical and, of course, covers the, our entire life from one end to the other. But he said there's an, something else yet. You must follow my commandments. If you walk in my ways, if you take that understanding heart, that wise heart, that heart that has the ability to discern, but you don't do anything about it, I, I can't bless you. But if you do what I say, understand what I want, and then do what I say, you walk in my way, you keep my statutes and my commandments as your father did, then I will lengthen your days. What should be the number one occupation of a Christian? Should it be to discern, to be able to discern right from wrong? Doesn't our entire Christian life depend on it? Am I as careful about my decisions spiritually as I am physically? Do I care um, as much about what God says in his Bible as I am about the price of corn when it comes for me to sell it? Or the price of furniture or whatever? Do I have the same concern am I content with uncertainties <coughs> do I say well you know you can't really tell anyhow it's uh, pretty much all gray so you do what you want I'll do what I want and we'll be happy So what is spiritual discernment? <clears throat> if my notes are correct, I'll probably preach this sermon about uh, low 90 sometime here. So probably very few of you remember, but if you do, you'd be doing good, I suppose. So, What is spiritual discernment? Spiritual discernment is the ability to distinguish God's thoughts from all other thoughts. That's spiritual discernment. There's a lot of theories floating around. There's a lot of thought floating around. Christianity in general has embraced some very false thinking. But Solomon said, 
I want to discern between good and bad. I want to discern. If you're going to discern something, you have to separate it. Someone has called that Thinking. The antithetical thinking is making a space between truth and error, separating it. I think Satan would like us to believe that there's not a whole lot of difference in the way people think. But there's some basic differences in, in the way a Christian approaches a question than a non-Christian approaches a question. thinking is a spiritual process and Solomon knew that he said I want you to give me an understanding heart so that I can discern between good and evil without the spiritual perspective without the word of God on what basis can I find truth? And that's a very valid question in our world. I, I look at what decisions people make, and I, says, and I say as a Christian, that makes no sense. How could it make sense? How could it possibly ever make sense? Well, the reason why we can't understand that is, is because our thoughts have been based on biblical truth. And so with the background of biblical truth, I say there's no way that that can make sense. But without a background of biblical truth, and you don't put your decision-making into the hand of God... Where is the foundation? What, what establishes truth? And our public schools are full of this. Postmodernism. This, this thinking that there is no absolute truth. There is none. And so, so what might be okay for you is not okay for me. And whatever we think today might be okay, but tomorrow may not be okay. And, and, and the whole sea, what I call, of truth is fluid. But how can it be anything but fluid without a, a spiritual perspective? See, and people grapple with this. They, people grapple with this for years. For example, now I don't want to call our, our nation Christian, and, and, I, and I, I'm not allowed to say we're supposed to get back to God because Dwight says we never were there, and he's true. That, that's right. So, so, and our nation isn't very Christian. Uh, but if you had a complete atheistic system, 
that didn't even recognize God. Where would you start? And I read an article, oh, probably 40 years ago, entitled, Dialectical Materialism in the Church. And it's like, it's a big word, dialectical materialism. What's dialectical materialism? I don't know what dialectical materialism. So I got my dictionary out, and I, or encyclopedia or whatever it was, and dialectical materialism was a theory of Karl Marx that he promoted. So now you have an ungodly atheistic system communistic system, where do the communists get established truth? There's got to be a process to figure out what's best. Now, we're not taking God into consideration. How do we do this? And this was the point of the article that I read. It was very thought-provoking. Antithetical thinking... Is what a Christian uses. The Bible says the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing asunder the soul and spirit and the thoughts and intents of the heart. All right? So you have good and you have evil coming at us. As we use the word of God, that sharp two-edged is going to separate good and evil. The word of God does that. If we have an understanding heart, and it is given to us by God and is reinforced by His Word, there will be a separation come there. We will not be gullible people. We must believe that every word that God said is exactly what He meant. And we take that at face value and we take this flood of good and evil that's coming at us day after day after day, and we take that established upon the Word of God, and we say, yes, this is true. No, that is not true. And that's the way the Christian should operate. That is what Solomon was asking for. Antithetical thought patterns. Now, Karl Marx... He doesn't have the Bible. He doesn't have God. He doesn't have all these things. So how do you get it? How do you get to a position where something works, something is true, something is how we should do it? And Karl Marx believed that, and he promoted that you have a thesis, which is a thought. Then you have the antithesis, which is the opposite of the thought. Then you have the synthesis, which is a product of hashing those two thoughts out. You come to the synthesis. All right? But, but see... That's not quite true either, because you don't have a foundation to work off of. So once you have a synthesis and you decide, say, say Warren and I, Warren has a thought and I have a thought, and, and we sit down and we hash it out and we come to a conclusion. All right, so we, 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 we get a synthesis among ourselves. But then Gary comes and he says, wait a minute, what you guys decided isn't quite why I just don't think that's quite the whole story. So he takes what Warren and I decided, and he, which is a thesis, and he adds his antithesis, and then we come to a synthesis again. Okay, so we have these thoughts, this thought, opposing thought, another thought, opposing thought, another thought, opposing thought, another thought, and Karl Marx believed if you did that long enough, you would arrive at utopia. Eventually, you would have it right. That was Karl Marx's theory. And the question, 
which was so thought-provoking to me in this article was, do we have dialectical materialism in the church? Is it possible to sit down and decide something, and then another brother in the church says, well, that's not quite right, so we take that, and, and so we come to conclusion again, and come to conclusion again, and where did the Bible come in? See, it's just my thoughts and your thoughts coming together and then another person's thought and, and, and you can have a whole discussion and never open up the Bible and say, what does God want in this situation? And that, that concept, that thought, is very, very provoking. It's very profound. Have we assimilated... Karl Marx, which is a diehard communist, is it possible that we could have assimilated his processes in a, in a Christian church? It is possible. Because the foundation is not the Word of God. Now, I'm going to go on in this sermon, and I will emphasize the, 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 how critical brotherhood is. So I'm not throwing away brotherhood process here. I'm not throwing that away at all. But it must be found based on the Word of God. It must be antithetical thinking. Whatever we're thinking is coming at, and, and they say, well, wait a minute, what does the Bible say? And we let the Bible make the dividing. But if I think that all truth is fluid, and it really doesn't matter, then I'm setting myself up for a huge disappointment. Now turn with me to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5 is talking about Melchizedek and the offered offerings. And I, if, if there's one subject in Christian circles that that is interesting, it's talking about Melchizedek. And who he was, he didn't have any his ancestry, and all, all this, it's just, it's intriguing. This individual is intriguing. And, and we read, we start reading in Hebrews 5, and you can read that. <clears throat> in verse 11, after that little exposition on, on Melchizedek, it says, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, What was the problem? Seeing you are dull of hearing. So what causes lack of spiritual discernment? Dullness of hearing. Do I want to hear? And I think I've used this illustration here before. I remember we used to go to my Uncle Earl's, and evidently Lester didn't like to hear. Or he, I don't know. But my uncle would repeatedly say, Lester, I want you to go out to the barn. I want you to do this and that. And evidently Lester was scatterbrained or Lester was a carefree little young boy or whatever. And his dad would say, Lester, do you hear? And Lester would say, yes, I hear. Obviously, he was a lazy hearer. 
What causes lack of spiritual discernment? When I use experience as the foundation for finding truth. All right. I have had this experience, hence this is truth. But you have had that experience, hence this is truth. If I use experience as a foundation for finding truth, everybody's experience is different. Now, that's not minimizing experience, but it can't be the foundation for truth. Warren came from one church in Pennsylvania, and I came from a church in Maryland, and Dwight, he came from another church, and, and I mean, these, these people have some horny background, and all these different people, and it's all mixed here, and our experiences are different. And when we get together to discuss something, because of our experiences, I tend to say, well, I experienced this, so we don't want to go there. And you can say, well, I experienced this, and we don't want to go there. Well, Trent was on my toes. Well, we did it. We had no problem. See what I'm saying? Everybody's experience is different. So, if I base my decisions based on everybody's experience, I'm going to be confused. Because we tend to overreact against our experiences. See, general experience confuses, but it experience when I become experienced in using God's word, that stabilizes. That produces righteous people. And then God's word, our experience, comes subject to God's word. And then we have a foundation. You see, if I base what I want on experience, then I'm placing myself exactly the same place that Adam and Eve did. Well, I, I, I want to be wise. I want to be like God. And so... I just do what, I, what I'm told. And their experience destroyed them, spiritually. It was quite an experience. But see, if they wouldn't have wanted... Uh, how, do, how do I say this? If they would wanted God's will more than their experience, they wouldn't have done what Satan said. What causes lack of spiritual discernment? Continuum thinking. Now we have antithetical thinking. Continuum thinking is believing that everything comes to us is just a truth and error. I, I can't figure it out, so, so I just have to accept the fact that that's the way it is, and I just kind of do the best I can. Uh, homogeneous, that is the same word we get from homogenized milk. I worked in a dairy, and we had a homogenizer. And this machine was about this big. It had a huge motor in it, I think 25 horsepower, if I believe. And there was these little screen discs in there that if you pick them up, it looked like a solid piece of steel. That's what it looked like. But they slid them things in there, and it was microscopic holes through there. And they had these plungers about this big around that plunged the milk through that disc. And it was so fine, it busted up the, the cream. I can think cells in that ain't right. The cream, uh, whatever. And, and it made it all one. 3,000 pounds. They had this big thing on top. Of it. 
just these three pistons going like this, and, and it just made one product out of two. The cream in the way. Alright? Every, everything's one. If I believe that it can't be separated, everything's one, it's all homogenized, I'm going to find myself in severe deception because that's a violation of God's word. Solomon knew that if he asked God for wisdom, that he knew that this world is not one homogenized mess, that it is separate, separatable. So the way I think, how I approach life as it comes to me, if I have, uh, have a given up attitude, that's ah, just overwhelming, I can't figure it out, I'm not even going to try. Or, by the grace of God, I want to know. Lack of spiritual depth or commitment. And I'm not sure how to say this, but I, I believe we would all agree that our concern for truth, our concern for separating good and evil, will be in direct proportion to our commitment to Jesus Christ. I think that's a logical conclusion. If I have a superficial commitment to Jesus Christ, I'll have a superficial commitment to truth. If I have a deep commitment to Jesus Christ, I will have a deep commitment to truth. So for a Christian to say, you can't really know and all this kind of stuff, it's almost a dead giveaway. That something is wrong here. Something's wrong. A little overhead here that clarified a few things in my mind at least. Yeah, the Word of God... Oh, it's up on the ceiling. It's above all. All right. We have the Word of God. In the Word of God, we have declarations and promises. God said, I am who I am. You follow me. I will bless you. Um, all the promises, all the declarations of God says who he is, and all the promises that he gives us, those are addressed to our intellect, okay, to the way we think. And it directs our worship. All right? The other part of God's Word is commandments. And the only way I can respond to a commandment is by obedience. I can't respond to a commandment anything else. If I say this morning, that I believe the commandments of God, that is an empty statement. The only thing I can do with the commandment of God, of God is to obey it or disobey it. See, it's not addressed to the intellect, it's addressed to my will. And so I must... To, to, to see how ridiculous it is, you, okay, if I say it's a commandment and I use faith in the commandment, I say I believe that, I, I have faith in that commandment, and, and I do that. But if I crisscross the other way, God says, I am the God of heaven, and then somebody says, well, do something about it. I can't do anything about it. Well, what can I do? I can't change anything. It doesn't make... 
Because it's not addressed to my will. It's addressed to my intellect. So, if I am thinking right and I'm discerning, discerning, we have God's truth that, co that comes at us, but we also have to divide that in half. That's what this little slide is all about. I need to decide, divide that in half. Now, what am I doing with the truth? Is it a, a declaration of promise? It is a commandment? Then how do I take it from there? Once I've separated it. So that's just kind of, kind of uh, interesting to me. So what produces spiritual discernment? Turn me in your Bibles to Acts 17. So how can I... How can I be a discerning person that God wants me to be? Now, it's obvious to all of us that if we ask God for something and he gives it to us, uh, let me see, how, is this, how am I going to say this? For us to be effective for God, God has to do his part and we have to do our part. All right. I think that's clear. He has this part. You say, God, give me a discerning spirit. And it's just like, boom, there it is. No. I have my part. Acts 17, verse 10. This is talking about the Berean. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night into Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. They were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and searched the scriptures daily whether these things were so. Therefore many of them believed, also of honorable women, which were Greeks, and of men not a few. Now he's talking about two groups of people, and obviously they both heard the sermon. <clears throat> Now, one was more noble than the other, and what made them noble? They went to church on January 31st, 2016, and they listened to Dennis Martin preach. But it didn't stop there. They went home, and they read their Bible to find out whether Dennis Martin knows what he's talking about. Now, you can go home and roast a preacher for lunch. I suppose you can. But I don't think this is what it's talking about here. It says they were noble. Because they valued the task. Alright? They valued the task. They received the word with readiness of mind. They were there. They weren't sleeping through the sermon. And they searched the scriptures. To find out whether this was actually right. They were active listeners. They were active listeners. And we had a comment here last Sunday in Sunday school. Brother Sam said, if you were an adult Sunday school, that Jesus went to heaven and sent his spirit back to earth. Is that true? I never heard it stated like that. If it was his personal spirit, then I would object. But since he's part of the triune Godhead, how could you separate Jesus from the Holy Spirit? So in a sense, there's some truth into it. And in a sense, I'm, but it made me think, is that right? Is that true?
fact, I got my Bible out and dug a while. And I did not find it say that his spirit, however, I'll give Sam the benefit of the doubt, since it's the triune Godhead, it had to be part of Jesus too. So I, how can you separate them all? However, they are separate. But, yeah. Prayer. I, I think I think prayer. If God's going to give us a discerning heart, then we have to give him a chance to talk. Right? And it's just, and if, if our prayer is just, well, Lord, give me this, give me that, give me something else, hurry up. I, I, I need this, I need that, I need something else. And, and, and please bless those who say in Jesus' name, amen. Well, that's a one-side conversation. Right? James says, if we lack wisdom, we need to ask of God to give it to all men liberal. So I think that's talking about prayer. Isn't it? I would ask God. And maybe that time of asking, God can put his thoughts in our mind. Bible study. <clears throat> do I read my Bible or do I study my Bible? There's a world of difference. How much do I study? Study to find out the facts. Study to figure out how to apply it to my life. Study in order to help other people. Church participation. So, uh, let me see here. Uh, Sunday school teachers, who do you think gets the most out of Sunday school lesson? You or the students? If you're a serious Sunday school teacher, I think you will say that you get more out of it than the than the than the students do. So as we participate, as we teach, as we counsel, as we exercise our spiritual gifts, God gives us discernment. I'll say this for what it's worth, department. I think Prairie Church is just a little weak in in uh, having young men giving topics that don't happen very often in our church. And I think that we could use some more public speaking practice, taking the Bible and making our young fellows dig and dig and dig and get up here and make a 10-minute 15 minute topic. I'm not saying I have to preach a sermon. But there's something about that does something to a young fellow. <coughs> That's from the for what it's worth department. Antithetical thinking. If we know that God will give us the ability. Unreserved commitment to God. We covered it as well. <clears throat> decision making decision making there's something about 
decision-making, a point of reference in decision-making that I think is critical. You have choices. I have choices. Our congregation has choices. If we're going to make good choices, if I as an individual want to make good choices, if we as a congregation want to make good choices, I, we, must, and this is not an option, we must have humility. I, I don't know all the answers. I, I, I'm sorry, but I only have one perspective. I need every single person in this congregation to help me make my choices. I don't even begin to profess to know all that God wants for me as, a, as an individual without your help. I need you. I need God. I need you. God has placed every single person in this congregation for a reason. And I need every single one. Even though I may not agree with them, God has placed them there for a reason. And if all other reasons fail, if I can't figure out why God put somebody in this church, honestly, I, I don't know why I would think that, but if I ever got to that point, there's one reason left, and that is to figure out who I am. I mean, if I disagree, if, you know, if, if we just seem to disagree on everything, if for no other reason, what kind of a person am I going to be in that situation? See, my love for my brother is not optional. Now, my concern for my brother may go up and it may go down according to my behavior and his behavior, but it doesn't matter how, he mis how much he misbehaves, I must love him absolutely to the fullest. Because Jesus said, if you don't, you're just like the Pharisees and everybody else. You just love people that love you. See, love is based on God's love is based on godliness that does not change according to anybody's behavior. Like Jesus didn't love because somebody loved him. He loved because of who he was. And 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 uh John Koblenz illustrated it like a rose. A rose smells not because of the nose it's stuck into the rose. It smells because it is a rose. And that's, that's challenging to me. So I need every single person whether I realize it or whether I don't realize it. If I'm going to make, if I'm going to make good choices, I need to submit, first of all, to God. And I need to submit to my brother. That is the foundation of fellowship, brotherhood, wise choices. <coughs> There's instances where I've set and I'll just tell you straight out, there's instances where I've sat in a Maranatha school board meeting, they call me in for my opinion, whatever it's worth, and I tell them straight out, whatever you're getting ready to do, I have no time for it. I've told them that. I have zero time for it. However, I know there's seven men around here that I have extremely high regard for. And because of that, I'm going to take your decision as a good decision, and I'm going to go with it. It must be. It must be. 
that we live in submission to each other or else our choices are going to be bad. When I, in humility, realize my dependence on God, my dependence on my brother, when I submit willingly to God and to my brother, that brings revelation and protection to my life. But, if I want to set up myself for bad choices, then I'll say, you know what? I don't need you. I don't need you. I don't need your opinion. Your opinion's rotten. Whatever. I won't obey. You can decide whatever you want. I'm going to do what I want. That leads to degradation and perversion. Always has, always will. My life, your life, our ungodly culture. I don't need God. I don't need you. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to live my life how I want. And, and you can see it. You can see the ramifications of that in congregations. You can see the ramifications of that in our culture. You can see ramifications of that everywhere you look. It's obvious that how and the perspective I made, how I make my choices. Lord, I feel small. I feel overwhelmed. God said, because you didn't ask for lots of money, because you didn't ask for a comfortable life minus your enemies, because you didn't ask for a long life, I am going to bless you in ways that you could have never been able to receive before. You put yourself... God says, I'm pleased. I love it. If only I would have that as my absolute goal in life. God, just to show me. I, I want to know. I want to know. I desperately want to know. Everything else comes secondary. But I want to know your will. And I want you to reveal it to me.